G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now, don't forget, everyone, we're still fundraising until the end of December. We know how important it is to keep some funds coming into CFRC because I, for one, want to keep Grad Chat going. So you can donate via cfrc.ca. Just go to the GoFundMe campaign, and that would be really, really appreciated. Today, though, I'd like to introduce you to Aprajita Sakar, who is doing a PhD in history under the supervision of Dr. Ishita Pandey. Welcome to Grad Chat, Aprajita. Thank you. Thank you for getting me here. It was, it was fun. <laughs> and I love the way Aprajita <laughs> says that because a colleague of hers, Su Yin, or what's Su Yin's pseudonym, like DJ Bear, yeah. um, has been trying to get Aprajita on here for quite <laughs> some time and we've finally done it. So yeah, awesome. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So your research topic is mythical families and mythical cities, small family norm in India, 1955 to 77. So Apajuda, why did you choose 1955 to 1977 as the period to to look at? Because I would have thought anything post-colonialism would have a lot of impact anyway. But why just that first part? Firstly, because the period, it's very fascinating for all the interesting possibilities that were available for a post-colonial society and how we were so obsessed with modernity or trying to modernize, trying to catch up with the developed world and economically def- was the first priority, but also social radical movements and, and, and constitutional movements of like, here's what you need to do to transform society through public interventions. And it, it was a very creative moment. Right. Now, India also had its a very strange planning system, which was they had five-year plans for everything. I think we still have it, but it's kind of redundant now. But initially, the first five-year plan was aligned with the first census after 1947. And the idea was to document, here's our visions and here's our, what we need to do, a fund allocation. It was basically an annual report for the whole state. But the 1955 onwards, I feel like nobody has paid attention to the specific decades. So from 50 to 60 and 60 to 70 and and i believe every decade has been very interesting for the cha- for the country to turn to change and right. sort of become a different beast in every decade okay. so let's i was like let's not focus on the independent moment because people have used that material let's look at it from the second plan onwards which is 55 and i hope i've got the dates right otherwise someone will you got the dates right wrong Uh, they're always demographers and sociologists who are going to be up against what i'm saying anyway let's not give them more give them material material yeah so yeah the second half of the 50s then 60s and then 70s because it's it's very interesting how basically the the state turns and and then the personnel how they turn from guiding people to like telling people to telling to go to the hospital That's right 
Okay. Now, we all know that India has an extremely large population. Actually, it's the second most populous country in the world, just behind China, and the seventh largest country by area. But it also has a huge poverty issue with a large proportion of its citizens being undernourished. I know this isn't your work, but has post-colonialism in India been a part of this population explosion and subsequent social and economic issues? Mm-hmm. Ever since I did the um, archival work for this project, right from day one, you hear this narrative a lot, like right from the 1930s, you had men and women, both in important high places in society, in Indian administration and uh, political leaders, national leaders, constantly worry about what are we going to do? This is this entire mass of people and how do we handle it? And they didn't. It's just, right. it's just one of those things they often struggled with. Every administrative regime struggles with it. Even today, it's a big topic of conversation and then nothing happens. <laughs> right. And I kept wondering what is going on here? Is, there, is it because we have framed it as an economic problem? Yes. Even malnutrition or any other problem, which is essentially a state problem, has been sort of pushed into this cart of all of this is caused because too many people people. and 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 the birth rates are so high and interestingly the birth rate isn't that high in the sense of even today and in comparison to of course definitely in comparison to 1950s today's fertility rate all of that is way lower and yet the number of families are large and uh, sociologists are trying to make sense of why that's the case now I through my project I'm trying to historicize the problem which is to say here's how people have been thinking thinking about the population for at least the first two decades since independence, 50s to 70s, and trying to show the social history. So therefore, I figure out how many nuclear families existed and how did they see themselves through popular culture, through advocacy, government advocacy, through films and through novels and come to this uh, understanding of it's been more complex than the the government wants to know. Right. So it's not like an anti-government, like activist project. It's more like, here's the problem. Here's how people saw it. And here's how the people understood what you saw or what the message was. And the state sort of didn't know what to do with that. So after a while, right. people right. understood that, yeah, the idea is great. Let's let's uh, we should all have a smaller sh- uh, family size. And the state was like, yeah, that's correct but also not and that's when people were like wait what what are you saying what, you, what, <laughs> what did you mean? mean i'm following up what, what what do you want me to do right right so so and you mentioned something there about visual culture mm-hmm. of modernization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what do you mean by that and, it, and are you looking at once again just within that period mm-hmm. from s- some of the things that you've been looking at yeah so visual culture i mean particular films, particular government advocacy films, trying to understand how they saw the, the, the modern citizen who would follow their rules, become the great marker of like, here's how a post-colonial society should grow. The men and women are sort of working hard at themselves. They are trying to break away from traditions. and, and Colonial uh, traditions. Yes, right. colonial traditions, the colonial ways of living, right. um, caring about their lifestyle, income, uh, the kind of jobs they do. So sort of moving away from this agrarian, rural-based 
thinking almost not just life and coming to the city and that which is why i was like small families mythical families and mythical cities because the cities were still not built but they right. wanted this first generation of city uh, dwellers to be the modern citizens who would help that city build properly through a sort of a sanitized vision of like this is what the capital should look or this is what a prosperous city like bombay should look so delhi bombay right. definitely and and couple of other uh, cases i focus on delhi but there are several such cities that are coming up where young couples are being encouraged to join the government services to just do well for themselves but also think about nutrition for their children and and it's especially since it's like restricted to two do well for them do well so that they go to good schools and they uh, they get good healthcare and and overall we have healthy city the problem with this narrative is at least through visual culture people across a certain class and caste issue um, were not allowed to make sense of the problem in their own terms it's you here the middle caste and class you're fine mm-hmm. this you're you're growing according to our standards but the ones below i don't think you're rational enough to get this so let me tell you how you should be and that's where the problem became uh, of people versus state right and 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 the beauty is that the lower working class populations were on board they were like yeah we want to modernize we want to go out into the city and work for ourselves so what are you trying to tell us and right. so the state gave ambiguous messages in terms of who should be allowed to reduce their birth rates and on what terms so women who were in the middle class families were encouraged to go to the counselor social services and sort of ask for help and you know just basically the nurse will sit them with them and sort of go over the ovulation charts and be like here uh, you know you should probably work on with this tablet and this whereas the women from the working class backgrounds or who are basically from very very poor families were just like hey why don't you just go and you know remove your tubes or hysterectomy or 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 something like right. permanent because apparently they can't keep control of their cycles they can't they they're just not rational enough and that's the difference is that why are you assuming that people are stupid <laughs> why yes. especially women they're not stupid they right. want to make sure that their birth rates are as low as possible you know more of their life depends on it than a middle class person's life but it sounds like it, it was two very different rules mm-hmm. one for urban and one for rural exactly. which which um we all well normally when i hear about uh, india there's this caste system mm-hmm. which is a hierarchical system right that's correct so clearly even with independence mm-hmm. that's still there even though you're trying to make people closer to each other absolutely and that's exactly what i sh- show through my chapters is that there are uh, the even this post colonial push to modernize mm-hmm. is through this understanding of some people will get it the others are just too stupid or just too backward to understand and who are these others the ones who live in the rural societies because they are never going to let go of their caste privileges well no, no. even i mean yes some people wanted to stick on with it the others were radically trying to transform themselves and the state the state somehow or and by state here i mean demographers sociologists who are going on state funded social surveys and 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 right. in ways of ac- seeing how people are accepting contraception that was a very popular study like so many of them and also like transnational philanthropists like ford foundation population council all these people 
as- assumed that all the development is happening in the modern cities right and not in the villages the villages are catching up and in the process the population is getting reduced but no one seems to understand how okay so you don't understand how and is it because they're not keeping track of birth rates and birth deaths and things like that oh they are but what they don't understand is the organic change that's happening within people's minds okay. and even if they try they're trying to understand it through variables which are kind of messed up so to assume that the rural people are backward it's a variable that it doesn't exist right. and that was one of the variables variables is that you talk to the women are they aware enough about the contraceptive changes and forms and they are very very aware right. they go to the doctor and they're like can we try this form here and the doctor right. is like no you should just get sterilized because you have you oh. don't understand how it works let me just sterilize you okay well that's that's pretty bad yeah exactly so if you that's keep fine. pushing people away with sterilization i'm yeah, I, i'm not going to come back to you no particularly in rural areas too and i know your area is more to do with urban but in in rural areas to be honest they need a, a good family to mm-hmm. keep the farming and things going exactly because without those rural people Yeah, there yeah. will be no food for the country. Yeah, but I also I I sort of also sort of um, go against that binary because I feel like the assumption that the ones in the city are actually modern that's also a little bit of you know yes. the, the the thing it's it's incorrect. It is a, as you say mythical. Yeah. yeah, it is because you assume <laughs> the mythical family is like castless and completely modern and they are thinking of themselves as like some very very healthy citizens that's not the case. Right. The moment you had the small family norm become something that was fashionable you also had a, a distinct or a drastic decline in girl child. So there is a son preference that's happening across the cities. Right. Across all these so-called mad- modern families and what do you want to do with that mm-hmm. and by the 80s it's such a big problem that the government had to ban sex uh, disc- uh, sex selection or or right. identification yes. at birth and so that's how crazy the problem is so to us to assume that people are are, are live these binary lives it's 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 just like you know sociologists mm-hmm. great good for your studies but people are people are not so simple no 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 <laughs> We're a lot smarter than people think at times. Yeah. So, so why why study the nuclear family and particularly in urban areas? Mm-hmm. Firstly, because they were at the top of the um, totem pole. They were the ones who were supposed to get it all right. Okay. And then there was a spectrum of people who were slightly less rational than them, and then the rural who were complete like. they would just would not understand they apparently just didn't understand the idea of controlling population and economic development and national development so i was like let's look at the top of the totem pole okay instead of again regurgitating this this interest in poor people and how they can't contraceptive let's try to enter it from the point of view of here are the rich nice people who have apparently understood the state's vision right and turns out they have but also they kind of being like okay we've understood it other people they i don't think they they are good enough they're not literate enough to understand how contraception works and it's that's a constant sort of refrain and i was like you know this is the reason why you know it, there are still large families because you're not understanding that that is they they are modern enough but you're not letting them understand modernity in their own terms right it's interesting too because i've always seen india being hungry for knowledge mhm mhm and like you said wanting to modernize and things like that and yet there's only sort of there's only seems to be a certain popular part of the population yeah 
it's a very unequal yes. modernized exactly if those in the higher echelons if mm-hmm. we, so is, is there still the caste system in oh yeah 100 okay. percent. yeah so with the caste system of course we have these hierarchies i mean it's, it's just called that in, in india mm. but it seems then they would also understand that maybe the nuclear family isn't quite the way to go if they're worried about population size although you are saying it's kind of neutralized a little bit despite the simple binary that the state policy is always sort of encouraging people are aware that the smaller families are the norm mm-hmm. but they are they can't afford to have a nuclear family so that's the okay. logic that that the government needs to now look at a, a normal village is urbanizing where let's say a lower caste family is aware that uh, my kids need to go to school yes. my my and the women is uh, are aware of what a hysterectomy is and as against how contraceptives work but she is not allowed that space with the when the government when she approaches the government hospital the doctors are like so you're here for sterilization and she's like no, no. i'm i'm not i i can take care of my period cycles or whatever right but so that change in perspective needs to happen and despite that uh, lack of change people are moving forward okay people do understand fertility issues but it's expensive to have a smaller family right right and and, and unless there is a uh, the state steps in it'll continue to be expensive for instance it's expensive to have a girl child right right now as as things stand so what are we going to do about it we don't i don't know but i hope so okay for people who don't understand so why is it expensive to have a a girl child as of now because the society across caste and class let me put it that way encourages a, a marriage system where the girl when she marries into a family needs to carry a certain amount of dowry with her and that dowry can vary anything like it could be piece of property or a car or a, some sort of a commodity something it's essentially built into the marriage system so which seems to go totally against modernization exactly of being everyone being more equal exactly so in one of my archival material that i had is a talk show with like the so called modern families in delhi and the talk show was recorded by this american journalist so her uh, records were in the harvard library uh, radcliffe institute oh, yes. and so she asked precisely the same question like why is it that dowry is such a thing even though you guys are all english speaking you're all modernized you're sitting here in delhi and you know what's going on and they're like well we have to because that's how life has been running for so long and these were the nice literate uh, uh, people right in the 1960s talking like that and so how do you how do you deal with a problem which is apparently just not going it's beyond this urban rural divide it's 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 a problem across the way people are thinking and it's not necessarily a problem across the different religions it's a problem it's, it's, it's a problem it's, with the caste system absolutely it's it goes back to the caste system and i know that people across religions in the subcontinent and i'm going to say subcontinent here but definitely if you look at bangladesh if you look at nepal if you look at it's not just an indian problem mm-hmm. sex selection and dowry is are are inherently connected and that's a, another problem that i'm technically not going into because there's a whole lot of studies on it yes. but i am hinting at it and saying you know uh, the small family didn't help just because people assume that yeah we can have two children and that will help us with our savings and our money does, doesn't mean that they were automatically like oh we can have two children uh, both of them are girls yes. like even in the state advocacy p- poster it was one man one woman one girl and one boy uh, so it's never like it's not that easy exactly. you never know what you're going to get exactly so the state itself was showing its true colors while it was advocating for mm-hmm. and and the best part is there were people who were having two children who were girls 
a working class but and that's where interestingly the visual culture visual culture around the time encapsulates that because there are so many films about a young couple coming to the city and finding themselves and en- engaging with the problems that the city throws at them and then they make their lives ha- actually happen right. they live with those problems and then they create their little houses from their homes and i was okay so the visual culture understands this what's happening in the state documents the state documents are not able to pick up on that on that hope that the city holds for these young people and and i think that's still the case people come to delhi bombay uh, mostly bombay because it's a fascinating place to be where you anything's possible anything that your suburban hinterland is not capable i mean that's changing now cuz the small cities in india are also doing very well but the idea that you need to go to a city to to change your life around that still exists right right you know? Yeah, I, I guess it's the same thing as people moving to Toronto and being like, we'll get something. Or, or me, people moving to New York. We'll be, able to do, we'll be able to do more in a big city. Yeah, and like going to the arts. More and opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And, and just be interesting. It's interesting, though, in terms of not everyone wants to go to a city. That is true. There yeah. are people who like being in rural areas mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have a, a fantastic life in rural areas. But in rural areas... often it's farming and things like that where you yes. actually need people to help in a, the farm in a perfectly castless world yeah people can choose to do whatever they want to and of course people are going to be up against that kind of a castless world mm-hmm. i mean it's like the people who actually are invested in not having these young families and these interpret it in their own way state right. propaganda then right. it's sort of just okay half half done project which is why the numbers are still as high as they are So I mean I know you're only looking at 1955 to 1977 what other sort of archival uh, sources did you find to yeah. show what you're trying to explain here Right yeah and that question is really important because 1950s India is very difficult to trace within India and that's an irony Right the Ford Foundation archives were very uh, interesting and um the Rockefeller Archive Center that's what I mean in New York I mean half the project is from there <laughs> then then right? Yeah. I think you'd have to go back to India. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would think that the city state archives would be enough, but that's not the case. Uh, the archives are pretty good for any colonial period studies and okay. which is why most of the Indian historical studies are from late colonial period, but it, it gets difficult when you are across the 1947 line. So uh, Harvard has several personal collections. There's actually a, a ministers um he was a demographer and a minister uh chandrashekar and his archives are in toledo okay. texas yes oh. and i'm like how what happened there never i mean there's just no no yeah exactly and the um, us congress library in washington i didn't end up going there but they also have a lot of right so uh, but i do believe that that's a common problem around uh, post colonial societies anywhere is right. that i i met a lot of scholars like one from kenya one from namibia the, they were in the rockefeller archives because their papers were there so okay. i think it's not just an indian problem right. but basically paper trail after 1940s is a bit of a it's a bit of a confu- confusing trail so with that with what you're trying to learn now i mean it, it sounds like it's not necessarily the people of the country that are the issue it's yeah. the system in a way yes but uh, the, you know the government and things like that and what their their thinking a what? family should be and how a family should act and things depending on whether you live in the city or the country right so what are you trying to do from this are you just trying to alert people that you know the way the the indian 
family, mm-hmm. traditional family, is what it is now, post-colonialism, mm-hmm. and whether it's been what the what it's defined as has been effective or not, mm-hmm. or are you trying to highlight to the government and the people and make some of these statements for people to follow to try and get them to think in a different way and change some of that? Yeah. So not thinking that because you live in the country, you're not as smart as those in the city. Right, right. So essentially, I want to go back, if there's a possibility, I'll tell the state bureaucrats to like go back to the 1950s where a social worker would talk to anyone and everyone, not with this sense of like, I must preach and tell you about these contraceptive devices, but more in terms of listening. Here is your family. Here's what the the goal for your family is in the next few years. How do you meet it with like two children and listen to them and figure out what the problems are. But if you do that, the first thing you're going to come across is caste. And then it is uh, the prerogative of the state to say, let's make some radical changes. I don't think the way things stand today, especially today, I don't think that's going to happen. But I hope when the book comes out, when the thesis actually sees something of a final shape, hope is... People read it mm-hmm. and people understand the difference between talking to someone and talking at someone and right. making decisions on their behalf. Right. Like sterilization is not an option, guys. I mean, I thought I thought, well, apart from sterilization, I thought this thing about, you know, you talked about someone could have two kids, but they're two girls. Mm. And I know in the past there's been a lot of infanticide yeah. Oh, yeah. With, with women, with, with girls mm-hmm. and things like that. And then still the system of girls being married off. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's an arranged marriage. I thought India was trying to get away from that. And I know we're getting away from your period. Oh, that that's looking okay. At 55 to 77. Yeah, yeah. But it seems that there's one hand that the... the the country is trying to make changes, but mm-hmm. they're still hanging on to traditions, mm-hmm. even during colonialism and before that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So these are uh, practices which I won't say started from the ancient times. I think that's a very specific uh, practice that started in certain uh, in, in a certain point in colonial India. And people were invested in because there's a major um, population which is which thrived. They, they, they actually grew out of these kind of customs and mm-hmm. uh, traditions. Now, uh, girls, for instance, today, the ones who are getting really educated, their parents are investing in their education so that they go on and become, like they do some things with their lives. You right. know, they're not just sitting at home. A lot of these girls are actually pushing back. They become mothers and they become women in the workforce, be it, in, uh, uh, be it in, as working class women or not. They're pushing back. And, and some of the some of the resistance to them is actually violent. If you go to the cities, it's especially Delhi, it's it's unsafe for women to walk around after seven. Right. But but it's not like women are not trying. Yes. They are they are pushing back against that too. So we right. have interventions which are like okay, the women uh, there are groups who are actually uh, there are public protests of like why can't women be st- safe in when they, she's taking the bus or. She's taking, a, a, you know, any kind of public transport for her to be safe, which is why the sex ratio is very important. Right. And it's it's amazing to me that the sex ratio is such a, uh, it should be a deeply political problem. And it's not. It's something that every year the, the, the newspapers are flooded with like, oh, the sex ratio has been going up, going down, but it's never seen a major improvement. Right. And right. it's why is this not an issue? Why is mm-hmm. it that when I go outside, for instance, in Kingston, if you go outside the, in, in, in a public uh, place, you'll see families and women. And, but if you go to a public place in India, I don't think people understand how flooded with men, yes, <laughs> young boys, men, just everywhere. It's, you, you stand in a queue, there's the men's line is just 
so long and you're like isn't there a problem yeah. that there are just four of us with like 10 people there why is this particular issue not a a, a social problem that mm-hmm. should come up in every agenda right so there are as people say vested interests but uh, uh, people are going to push back girls are going to push back i mean well it's hard if it, if a government on one hand is saying we want to modernize and then s- still keep too much mm-hmm. of of what it was before exactly um, whether it's right or wrong mhm mhm we can't get into that but yes yeah, very difficult i would think it would be very difficult for the population the people living there mhm getting mixed messages oh yeah yeah and i haven't even gone into the whole like right now the hindu majority like there's this constant feeling like oh my god like we are getting we have the nuclear family and like other minority populations the muslim family the christian family look at them they're so fertile and they're just they having five six kids at a time that's all again it's right, like right. you are fine nobody yeah. is out to get you it's just... so so are you saying then with, with the nuclear family are you saying then what it i mean first of all you're getting rid of some of those myths about what's yeah. happened yeah. but are you saying then with the nuclear family in india the population explosion can be controlled yes and if it's all done correctly it can also lead to better lives for everyone both rural and urban yeah but yeah and give more equity on yes. the way yes yes so uh, the model itself is emancipatory for anyone who wants to follow it in their own terms. Right. You just but, have to let they haven't not being allowed to be necessarily in their own terms. Yes, yes. And have that space for a dialogue and which is why I'm saying let's go back to the 1950s model of talking and counseling someone rather than right. sort of pushing them towards the hospital every time. Because it is it a medical problem is it a social problem? Like right. the state has to decide that. I see I think that's an important thing social problem versus medical problem. I think you've hit it on the nail there. Yeah. I'm going to talk about a little something a little bit different now yeah, because yeah. you do have a lot of do other things apart from your research and just yeah. to let you everyone know Apigeria is almost finished yeah. <laughs> so she'll be handing in that thesis soon anytime now yes anytime now so congrats on that Thank i you. know as we say now the light at the, is at the end of the tunnel yes. there and you're almost there yes. so well done but i also know that uh, while you've been here at queens mm-hmm. you've you've helped set up what's called the scholars of color for the humanities yeah can you tell us a little bit about that group So originally it was basically some history students and uh, graduate students and uh, English graduate students sort of coming together. Right. And and then you're like, you know what? Let's let's do something more institutional about this. Let's just build a space. We don't know if the people be after us needed or not. Right. But again, there is Sue in Jordan Safa, most uh, many of the English uh, graduate students. History I don't know yet. It's just me for now. And uh, <laughs> but we all got together and um created this group and and registered it got all the paperwork done and we thankfully got some funds from the Div- uh, inclusion and diversity uh, fund in queens Ex- excellent and we we're trying to make uh, use of it as as we also try to graduate so it's a bit of a, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work but we're trying and our programs go off very successfully and then we realized there's actually a space or a need for so many uh, graduate students who are probably not in the humanities to come mm-hmm. to this workshop which is on anti-racism or being transnational being so we, transnational so international students or, uh, or domestic students with international ties how do you how do you look after yourself precarity health mental health all of that that's awesome thanks <laughs> 
So, Apogee, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show and good luck. Thank you. Uh, I know you haven't got far to go and I know you're just going to kill it in your defence. Thank you. So no problem there. So good luck with that. Thank you so much. See, we finally got her. Yay. Just (laughs) right at the end we got her. We got her at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Uh, don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.